Would you please stand, friends, for the reading of the Lord's Word? I'm reading this morning from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Again, this is the Lord's Word. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may speak it clear in the way I ought to speak. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated? And let's again go to the Lord. And so, Father, I can ask nothing more than what the apostle has just asked, that your word would go forward, that you would provide open doors, and that, Father, you would help me to speak the mystery of Christ, and that you would help me, Father, to be clear as I ought to be. I ask for your spirit's blessing and pray for your help, uh, that I would be faithful in handling this passage of scripture, and that these, your people, would be faithful in hearing it and responding to it in obedience. We thank you again for your love for us. Now we commit this to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The apostle is now approaching the close of this letter. He has rounded the final bend. And he has just finished giving the saints instruction as to how the truth of the gospel ought to affect the relationships of of the the home, the family relationships. So he has addressed wives and husbands, parents and children. He has uh, addressed slaves and masters. The word of God instructs us how we are to live, but obedience isn't such an easy thing. It's one thing to tell you this is what the Lord says But then when we try to go home and practice these things, we find out we're not doing so well at practicing the things that the Lord has instructed. While we're in these bodies, while we are in this world and facing various circumstances and oppositions, we struggle to do what the Lord commands us to do and what he commands us to be. How many of you went home after I addressed wives submitting to their husbands and said, oh, oh, I didn't know I was, I was supposed to do that. Now I know better. Now I can do this. It's much easier now that I know this. Or how many of you husbands, when I preached about this, uh, went home and loved his wife just as Christ loves the church, right? You went home and your wife looked at you and said, nailed it. You did it. You're doing flawlessly. How many of you went home and, did, and didn't struggle with bitterness, man? How many of you didn't want to submit, ladies, to your husbands? And what children, how are you doing at obeying your parents? A flawless, um, a flawless uh, endeavor, I'm sure. Or what fathers and mothers haven't exasperated their children with unrealistic expectations and harsh words? And what employee can't find something of which to disapprove of his employer Which one of you hasn't fought being half-hearted in your service? Or what bosses haven't struggled with keeping their promises? Who look at the bottom line and not the fact that they are dealing with people? You see, here the Lord commands us in the way that we are to treat one another. But if we are honest, we don't find it so easy a thing to obey. And our flesh rises up. I mean, this this is the reality of life in the church. This is the reality of being a Christian. We, we talked about this in Sunday school. We struggle. 
here's the Lord's word. Here's what he says. This is, this is the reality of how we go home and we stumble all over ourselves. Paul writes in Romans 7, For what am I doing, or for what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. If we understand our struggle and how impossible it is in our own ability to constrain our flesh, then we see our need for prayer. And we understand now why the apostle addresses the church as he does, exhorting us to be a people of prayer. And he does so, exhorting us to pray in general, but also that we should pray specifically for open opportunities for the gospel. To obey and to witness, we need to be a people of prayer. Both are impossible apart from the Lord. That's why Christians are being exhorted to pray. So Paul, as he starts off addressing again the Christians, as he is wrapping up this book, he starts off by telling the Christians, by telling us, my friends, that we are to devote ourselves to prayer. How are you doing in your Christian walk? How are you doing in obedience to the Lord? How are we doing as in ministry as we approach the mental health table, as we approach the county fair? Are we going to go out there in our own strength and say, I've got just the magic questions, I've got just the right literature, or do we go into it with prayer? He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Again, listen, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Again, here in verse 2, he is speaking generally. Understand that God speaks to us through his word, and we speak to God through prayer. God makes plain to us what he wants of us in his word, and we make known to God our desires through prayer. Listen to our standards as they state what prayer is. They say, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And our larger catechism adds this one phrase, we do so by the help of his spirit. The French Huguenot uh, John, Jean Daly wrote this about prayer. He said, Prayer is the Christian sacrifice, the holiest exercise of his devotion, his consolation in troubles, his stay in weaknesses, the principal weapon he uses in combats, his oracle in doubts and perplexities, his safety in perils, the sweetening of his bitterness, the balm of his wounds, his help in adversity, the support and ornament of his prosperity, and in a word, the key of the treasury of God, which opens it up to him and puts in his hand all the good things that are necessary for the one and the other life, this of the earth and that of heaven." Prayer is essential. Prayer is necessary. Would you be a follower of Jesus Christ? Would you walk in obedience to the Lord? Friends, you cannot do it apart from prayer. Consider the countless examples of people who have prayed, uh, who have gone before us. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, and the people of Israel. Hannah, when she could have no children, and how she prayed. And David, writing the Psalms, all of these Psalms. David writes, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. There's Hezekiah and there was Isaiah who were delivered from the Assyrians because they got down on their knees and they prayed. There was Elijah who defeated the prophets of Baal. There was Daniel, and of course, there was our Lord who had no sin to combat, and yet he prayed. He prayed. 
He would go off alone to pray, sometimes an entire evening. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and his sweat became drops of blood. And then, as we read in John 17, we read of his high priestly prayer. And then we have, of course, the example of the apostles. Even here, the apostle Paul saying, pray for us. Prayer is necessary for us. And, and I need to say this, that, that prayer doesn't need to be complicated. We talked about this last Sunday night. I think we timed the, um, Elijah's prayer, and it was somewhere around 10 or 15 seconds compared to the prayers of the prophets of Baal who danced morning, noon, and evening, cutting themselves and crying out for hours and hours, and yet their God did not hear, and yet Elijah gets on his knees and he prays 15 or 20 seconds, and fire came down, and the people saw that the Lord, he is God. Our prayers don't need to be long. They don't need to be complicated. In fact, the Lord instructs us not to use meaningless repetition because we're not heard for our many words. We're heard because we have a faithful Savior, a faithful high priest who intercedes for us. And so we don't, while we wrestle with prayer, and arguably, I would say, the the hardest part of the Christian life is the life of prayer because everything in us fights against us. Everything in the spiritual realm fights against us in these things. And yet we get on our knees and like little children, we hold up our hands and we cry out to our Father and ask him, Father, fill my hands. Give me the things that I need to do the work you've called me to do. Help me to love my wife. Help me to love my husband. Help me to work hard as an employee. Help me to be an obedient child. Forgive me for my sin. We cry out to the Lord. And these are the examples that we are given in the scriptures. There should be no doubt as to its importance and its necessity in our lives, friends. To live obedient lives, to advance the kingdom of God, we must be a people who are given to prayer. And that means this congregation needs to be given to prayer. This congregation needs to be given to prayer. Paul says, be devoted to it. It's not something in which we are called to be half-hearted. To be devoted to something means that you give constant care or attention to that thing, that person, or that activity. You give continued attention to it. You persevere in it or with it. You pray, as Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, you pray without ceasing. It is a matter of life and death. You pray as you're driving, as you're standing in the shower, as you fall off to sleep at night, when you wake up at 3.30 in the morning and you can't think anything else, you're praying and you're saying, Lord, help me. So often we, we, we take this attitude in the Lord's church, well, I did pray. It's one and done. We don't persevere in it. And we do not devote ourselves to it. Perhaps we don't see the necessity of it. And wouldn't this be just what Satan wants? A prayerless people of God, leaning on their own understanding, trusting that they have the ability and giftedness to accomplish in their own strength and wisdom the things that lie before them. After the ascension of our Lord to the right hand of the throne of God, we are told that the disciples entered Jerusalem and went to the upper room along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And we are told that they were all with one mind and were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Afraid, scared, alone, feeling like, where's our Savior? What do we do? And they, what do they do? They go and they cry out to the Lord. They pray. We find that prayer is an integral, integral sorry, part 
of the Christian life and ministry, and therefore we are to keep alert in it, says Paul, with an attitude of thanksgiving. What does it mean to keep alert? It means to be watchful in it. There are all sorts of things, all manner of things, for which we ought to be praying. We see something happening, and we carry it to the Lord. You watch the news, and you go, I need to pray about this. Our friend Todd Smith I was reminded this week off of Facebook, whenever he heard a siren of an ambulance, he would stop and he would pray for the people in that ambulance. So what kinds of things are you confronted by? What kinds of things are you aware of that are taking place in your life and in the lives of others? What about those needs that confront the church and those needs that confront our country and our world the dangers that our Christian brothers and sisters are facing across the oceans, the blessings that we've received and the promises that have been made, do you stop and give thanks to the Lord? And what about praying and seeking the will of the Lord? We are to keep alert in prayer, to be watchful in all of these things. It is what the Christian does. We cry out to the Lord, and we do it also um, in an attitude of thanksgiving. We maintain an attitude of thanksgiving. When we pray, we are making requests to the Lord agreeable with his will. Yet so often we fail to acknowledge those prayers that have been answered, those blessings which the Lord has bestowed upon us. And so we turn our prayers oftentimes become um, lists of give me this and give me that. And we stop short of acknowledging and recognizing what the Lord has done. Listen to Psalm 130, verses 1 through 5. We read this. Or Psalm, rather, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. You hear the psalmist giving thanks to the Lord, who's blessing the Lord for the things that he has done. And so as we pray, as we make our requests known to the Lord, Paul would say, don't forget to give thanks for the things that the Lord has done. Because, my friends, we are debtors. We are debtors to the Lord for all that he has done for us. And so not griping, not complaining, but blessing the Lord for the things he has done. So here then, very briefly, um, we've covered this. Uh, We're given a general exhortation uh, to us, to all of the people, that we must be a people devoted to prayer, constantly giving attention to it because we have need and we must make our desires known to the Lord for our spouses, our marriages, our children, our work, our world, our witness, the church, our communities, pleading for the Lord's help and praising him for his many kindnesses and even the trials that we face. Very easy to remember ourselves in prayer. Very easy to allow prayer to become a self-serving endeavor. But it is not only Uh, for what may affect you personally that we are to pray, but also we are to pray for the advance of the gospel. Now, I want you to notice this because it looks like, what's what's his point in putting this here? The overall point is that there's prayer that is needed. 
We need it to follow the Lord in obedience. But you understand the church and the work of the gospel, the work of the kingdom, also need prayer. We need to be devoted in prayer for these things. Again, listen to what Paul writes. He says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. It's as if Paul said, while you're thinking of it, while you're praying for yourself, will you also pray for us? Remember this very thing. Pray for those who minister. Why? Because faithfulness, um, we want to pray for faithfulness in the midst of hardship. Pray for us at the same time as well. Now he urges the saints not only to pray for what they face, but also to pray for those who are involved with the care of the church and the advance of the gospel. Pray for me, says Paul. Pray for Timothy as well, 1 Timothy 1.1. Pray for Epaphras in 4.12 and all the others who are serving the Lord by caring for his church. My friends, it is a humble request that the apostle makes. Paul the apostle, what could he ever need? What would he possibly need? What would these dear, kind men be in need of? The reality is, friends, is that they were just men. They were sinners saved by grace, fraught with with fears and weaknesses just like every other person, yet with a calling on their lives to preach the gospel and a target on their backs because they did preach the gospel. Consider that Paul was fettered and in custody. This stands uh, when you consider the many references in which it is clearly indicated that the Jews, filled with fury because Paul preached the gospel to Jew and Gentile without distinction, the Jews had accused Paul before the civil authorities. He is hated by the Jews. While he's writing this letter, he's in, he's in prison. He's, in, he's, he's been arrested. And so he's not, he's not on easy street. While you're remembering to pray for you, would you please remember to pray for me as well? The Jews hated Paul. They hunted him down, and he was under arrest. In fact, he was arrested multiple times. Often, he was in danger of death. Five times, I'm reading here from 2 Corinthians 11, five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times he's beaten with rods. One time he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and a a day in the deep. He took frequent journeys. He had dangers from rivers, uh, from crossing the rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brethren. He spent many sleepless nights. He was hungry and thirsty. Often he was without food. He was left in cold and exposure. And if these things weren't enough, there was the daily pressure on him of concern for all the churches. Why should we pray for Paul? And Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 4.13, we have become the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. And again elsewhere, he said this, we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. I don't know if you think the pastors and elders or super saints somehow were exempt from temptations and trials and struggles, but friends, 
you need to pray because this is, this is the model, this is the example we're given in Scripture. And if these things uh, weren't enough, the opposition and hardships that came from every direction, there was also the spiritual component to what they encountered. As Paul mentions in Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul and Timothy and the others they needed, your, they needed the prayers of the saints because they could not do it alone. They were engaged in a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle that resulted in physical persecution as well as the, the, the emotional hardships that they underwent. It strikes me that he says that they despaired even of life. Do you think of a, you think of a, a, a minister saying, boy, I wish I could just pass away. They felt it. They had those real temptations. And sometimes, sometimes we forget we're an an organism, we're a living body. And we're not just going to Walmart and complaining because they were out of our favorite peanuts on the shelf. It's life and death things that we're talking about here. And the apostle doesn't have it wrapped up in a bag. I'm the super saint. I'm the super apostle. I'm going to get this thing done. He says, by the way, pray for us. Would you pray for us as well? He was in jail because he preached this word. And it was not going to go away. He would continue to be passed from jail to jail. And eventually he would die for his faith. They needed prayers. Your pastor, your elders, your deacon, our missionaries, as I mentioned, the Folkerts, they need our prayers. Because if they are faithful to the Lord and to his word, they will be bothered, they will be afflicted, they will be tried, they will be discouraged, and Satan will do everything he can to keep them from becoming and being faithful with the means of grace. And that's just what Satan tried to do with Paul. And finally, he says... And pray that we would be faithful to our calling. I'm paraphrasing. Listen again what he says. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. For all of the things for which the apostle might have asked, notice what he doesn't ask for. He does not ask for prayers that his life would be a life free of conflict. He does not pray that he would have comfort. He does not ask that they would pray that he has ease as he's getting up there in years. But his concern was the ministry of the word. He asked essentially for for two areas, that God would open up to them a door for the word and that when those opportunities presented themselves, he would make it clear when he spoke, that he would speak the truth clearly. In regard to the first request to the ministry, he prays that God will open up to them a door for the word. Again, remember this, he is under house arrest in Rome. Paul would spend two plus years in Rome under house arrest. It's about the year 60 AD. From this um, 
From this place, he would write the epistles of Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. And here he is asking for an open door for the word. An open door is a phrase that we use and they used even at that time. It's an expression. An open door is what they're asking for. An open door is an opportunity to enter a means of of approach or access. In the present context, it means uh, he is asking for an opening for the word or the message to be able to go forward. He's asking that prayer be made, that he would have opportunities to speak the word. Is he asking that he may be set free from his confinement, set free from prison? Not necessarily. It might imply that. It might imply that, hey, if I could get out of here, I could do my work a whole lot easier. But I don't think that's what he's asking for at all. While that may have been in his mind, we certainly shouldn't think that Paul is saying, hey, maybe you could ask uh, the Lord to give me the ideal life so that I could do the ideal ministry. You ever felt like that? Lord, if I just had this right, if I had the right kind of house, if I, if I had the right kind of circumstances or situations, then, then I might be able to be faithful to you in the service and in the work you've called me to. That's not what Paul's asking for here. We shouldn't ask for that either. He wanted opportunities for the word to be able to go forward. He wasn't waiting for the perfect time or the ideal situation. He's not looking um, for anything except an opportunity to make the word of the Lord known. It might be freedom. It might be greater confinement for him, but the word will never be confined or imprisoned, according to Paul in 2 Timothy 2.9. In Philippians 1.12 and following, we read this. Now again, remember, Paul is imprisoned. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. How's that for open doors? While he's in jail, people are coming to them. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28 and listen to what he says there. Acts 28 verses 30 and 31. As Luke has written this, he writes, And he, this is Paul, stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. He's praying for open doors. And the Lord has given him open doors. He asks, "Give me, pray that the Lord would give me opportunities to speak of the Lord And the point of asking for the open doors was so that he may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Again, this is the the chief end of, of all ministry is to point people to Jesus Christ. It's not just to convince them of politics. It's not to convince them of anything other than who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And he speaks of it here. Speak forth the mystery of Christ. The heretics spoke of mysteries and special knowledge and secrets and all of these kinds of things. But here is the real mystery made plain to us by God. This was Paul's goal, to make Jesus Christ plain to everyone he could and any opportunity provided to him, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is a mystery. God taking on human flesh who came and sacrificed himself for the likes of us. That's a mystery. And yet it's God's mystery, and he revealed it very plainly. So these open doors that he's asking for prayer in order that he might speak forth This message, this was Paul's goal. He was not pursuing a life of ease, 
but a life of obedience. And if you read in Acts chapter 9, we see this very thing. That Ananias was told, I will show you, I will show him, that is Paul, how much he must endure, how much he must suffer for the sake of the kingdom. He is going to go and be my witness. He is going to tell others about me, and he was going to have to suffer for it. And then finally, Paul says that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. He asks that in whatever opportunity he has provided, that he would be clear in what he says concerning the Lord, that he would lay out the facts plainly concerning the coming, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus Christ, regardless of who it might be or in whatever circumstance he would find himself. I need to be plain. I need to be clear with the gospel you could understand. Paul would talk to everyone. In fact, we know that it was Philemon was ministered to, or uh, Onesimus was ministered to by Paul while he's in prison. He's talking to a servant. He's talking to a servant. And then he is hoisted and brought before kings. And what does Paul do there? I present the gospel. My message doesn't change. I don't dumb it down. I don't change it. I just indiscriminately give the gospel message. Why? Because this is what people need. And this was my job. This is my calling. This is the job of the minister to give the message indiscriminately, unadulterated, unwatered down, straight down the line. He suffered for it, but he doesn't stop it. In fact, he asks for more opportunities to do it again. All the while not considering his life as any account important to himself. We pray for ourselves that we will obey the Lord. We seek from him his blessing and his strength and his spirit to obey. But you're not the only ones. The minister and the evangelists and the missionaries, they need it as well. Because people die without the Lord. And that's why we pray. Because in our own ability, we don't, we don't make it before kings. We trust the Lord to open those doors and to lead our paths, to guide our steps in order that we might take the news of Jesus Christ to them. Again, ministry, my friends, and obedience cannot be accomplished apart from prayer. We are all weak and we have needs that only the Lord can answer. So I ask you, will you be devoted to prayer? Will you keep alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving? And will you pray for your pastor? Will you pray for your elders and your deacon? Will you pray for them and ask the Lord to bless the work of our hands for his kingdom? Let's pray. Again, our Father, we thank you for this day and for your word and pray that your will be done regarding it. We ask for your help and pray now for your grace that we would become a people of prayer. Seeing, Father, that we are weak, seeing that we are feeble, seeing that um, we can't even keep ourselves from getting a cold, let alone direct our steps. Oh, Father, we ask that you would open doors for us. And I pray again for this um, 
this presence at the mental health fair this upcoming Saturday, and I pray as well again for our efforts at the county fair and pray that you would be working now in the lives of people and that you would be working in our own lives and that you would forgive us, Father, when we've become distracted by this world and we've lost sight of our primary, um, our primary calling. We ask that you would help us in these things. And we ask that you would go with us as we leave this place today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.